Well, good morning. It is uh, wonderful to be back here with you at Covenant Fellowship Church. I'm, uh, some of you may remember I was here um, this, this summer um, in June with, with my bride. And um, now I have my daughter who's with me this morning. She looks a lot like my bride, but she's not. This is my daughter, and uh, Lillian. And, uh, and so Lillian is is uh, learning. She's eager to learn all the German she can. And so feel free to teach her and test her and see what she, what she knows thus far. Um, but I have, um, as Nick said, um, you know, he and I uh, have become friends over this last year, and we find ourselves... Um, really seeing each other a lot uh, in, in, the, this, in 2022 and now in 2023. I think that he will, he will soon be um, in the States for, for a council meeting that we uh, have together. Um, and, and know that uh, our church prays for you. We're excited about what God is doing here. Um, it was a joy for me to receive the email from, from Nick uh, letting me know that you had installed elders and deacons. And so that is, that, that is very, very exciting. And I praise God for that, and I praise God for, for you and what God is doing through Covenant Fellowship Church here in Stuttgart. And so our, our text today is in the book of James, James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. And so if you'll turn there to James, and uh, while you're turning there, let, let me say just a little bit about the context of what we're about to read and, and think through. Um, Even if you don't consider yourself very familiar with the book of James, I think it's quite possible that that this passage will sound uh, familiar to you. It contains verses that are are often quoted, um, and certainly verses that uh, contain really obvious wisdom. But just because these verses may sound familiar and the the wisdom may seem pretty apparent, I, I don't want us to miss what I think is the very real danger that, that James is warning against. And, and this, is, this danger that James warns against in chapter 4, verses 13 to 17, is, is a danger uh, th- that I've heard referred to as practical atheism. Practical atheism. You know, atheism being the disbelief in the, the very existence of God. Well, by practical atheism, I'm referring to essentially living your life Making your plans, spending your money, dreaming your dreams, carrying out you know, day-to-day operations, making these plans without any real meaningful regard for God and his word and, and his church. See, we set our agendas, we set our goals, we, we have our priorities without regards for God and his word. You know, we profess that we love God while our heart, soul, mind, and strength but practically, the danger is that our, our lives could look like perhaps we've forgotten God altogether. Now, I know that, that, that forgetting God can, can sound a bit extreme, but James is addressing Christians who functionally live their life, make their decisions, in many ways just like everyone else around us, just like the unbelieving world and our unbelieving neighbors around us. You see, forgetting God may sound extreme, but forgetting God has been a danger for God's people um, from the earliest days of the Old Testament. For example, listen to what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 to 12. 
And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. So he says, take care lest you forget the Lord. But think about it. How, how could they forget the Lord? How could they forget what God had done for them? How could they forget God rescuing them from slavery in Egypt? How could they forget God, God feeding them day after day for 40 years? How could they forget that God had given them his word to, to guide their lives, to guide their worship? I mean, how could they forget the Lord? And for us here in this sanctuary, how, how could we forget the Lord? How could we forget all that God has done for us? You know, brothers and sisters in Christ, he's, he's rescued us from, from slavery to our sin through Christ. He sent his only begotten son to, to live, to suffer, to bleed, to die, to rise from the grave. To save us from our sins. He's given us the Holy Spirit to, to live within us, to empower us, to give us new hearts. He's given us his word. He's brought us into a local worshiping community. How could we ever forget the Lord? Well, whenever, whenever God is all we have, we don't tend to forget him. The challenge comes whenever we have more than we need. The, the challenge comes whenever we experience some success. You see, James is really speaking specifically to, to, to the wealthy, or at least the middle class merchants and business people in our passage today. People who have more than they need. And people who are, in, who are in danger of making their plans, filling their calendars, investing their money without meaningful consideration of God and his word. They're in danger, friends, of forgetting God. And so I believe when we understand this context that we see that James is speaking to people like us. So with that said, hear now God's holy, inerrant, infallible, life-giving word. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is the word of the Lord. And it's absolutely true. It's given to us in love for our good. Will you, will you join me in prayer now? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that all scripture is God-breathed that is useful, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, that the people of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Our prayer, Father, is that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts that are receptive to your word. Please teach us and disciple us today. 
And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And so we're going to look at this passage, James 4, 13 to 17, under three headings. And the three headings are questions. So first, how do we forget God? When we forget God, what do we forget about ourselves? And then third, what can we do to not forget God? So how do we forget God whenever we do forget him? What are we really forgetting about ourselves? And what can we do to not forget him? So first, how do we forget God? So look at verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now, at first glance, you may want to ask, well, well Richard, what, what, what is wrong with making plans, making preparations, looking ahead, thinking ahead, setting goals? And of course, there's absolutely nothing wrong with any of that. There's nothing wrong with, with making plans. There's nothing wrong with making preparations. The, the Bible makes it very clear that, that only fools refuse to, to make plans. Only foolish people refuse to make preparation for the future. It's good to make plans. You know, the book of Proverbs uh, commends the ant for getting food in the summer uh, to guarantee, gathering food in the summer to guarantee a supply for the winter. The Bible commends Moses for, for planning to lead God's people out of Egypt. God bless Joshua for planning to, to lead Israel into the land of Canaan. The Apostle Paul rightly planned to, to take the message of the gospel to, to people in places where, where Jesus had not yet been preached. So James, is, he's not against making plans. He's not against business or diligence or, or making money. Nothing wrong with making plans. But there's, there is a problem whenever we go about arrogantly making our plans without meaningful consideration of, of Christ and his word and his church. You know, Sinclair Ferguson, the Scottish pastor and theologian, put it this way. The problem is not that it's a mistake to make plans. Far less that good business planning is sinful. It is failing to live before the face of God. Failing to consider time in the light of eternity. Failing to live conscious of the fact that our lives are in God's hands and not our own. This is the great mistake. You, you see, we, we forget God in our pride and, and we arrogantly think that, that we know what's best. And that we arrogantly think, foolishly think, naively think that, that we can control the outcomes and the circumstances in our lives. And later in our passage in verse 16, James says, As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. And so look again at this, this boast in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today, tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there, and trade and make a profit. You see, the problem with the plans in verse 13 is that the Christians who say this they're not prayerful or hopeful that God will bring these things about. This Christian is not humbly relying on, on God's will and direction for their life found in the scriptures. See, the problem with verse 13 is that someone who says this, they're declaring what they're going to do and that they will do what they want to do. And they expect to, to control these outcomes. I mean, look at verse 13. Look at what all they believe all of these outcomes that are under their control. 
I mean, they believe that they can control the timing of their lives. You know, today or tomorrow, we're going to do this. That they believe that they can control the, the location of their lives. You know, that they're free to control the location. Of, you know, we will go into such and such a town. That they believe that they, they can control the duration of the events and the seasons of their lives. You know, we, we will spend a year there. That they can control what they do with their lives. We will trade. And they can ultimately control the outcomes. We're going to make a profit. We're going to be successful. So, so how do we forget God? Well, whenever we believe the lie from, from the pen of William Ernest Henley, I am the master of my fate and the captain of my soul. When we go about life with the attitude, I don't need to humbly depend upon God and his word. I can handle this. I'm in control. I don't need godly wisdom. I don't need to pray. I I know what I want and, and I aim to get it because I know what works best for me. You see, James' example in verse 13 is specifically about business and, and commerce, but he could have just as easily said, I'm going to attend this university for four years. Then I'm going to move to this city. I'm going to have this career for X number of years before I move to this other city. Or we will both give ourselves fully to our careers and we'll make as much money as possible for X number of years. And then we'll start a family and then then we'll move to this neighborhood and we'll have this many kids and then we'll retire at this age. And, And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with making plans and preparations. But James' example in verse 13 and these other examples I gave They're not immoral, they're not sinful, they could be all God-honoring. But the problem is when we forget God and we dream our dreams, and we schedule our calendars, and we make our decisions, and we spend our money, and we live our lives without any meaningful consideration of God and his word. So how do we forget God? Whenever we just do what we want to do. Second question, okay, well, when we forget God, what, what is that really saying about what we forget about ourselves? Well, the first thing is that we forget our ignorance. We, we forget what we don't know and how much we don't know, how much we can't know. Look at verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You know, I once heard it put this, put it this, put this way. <coughs> We all misinterpret the past, misanalyze the present, and misforecast the future. There's just so much that we don't know. And it can be an uncomfortable truth, but we don't know what the future holds. We really have no idea. And the irony about living this life as a Christian is that we, we know, right, Christians know exactly where we will be a million years from now. But the irony is, we really don't know what's going to happen later today, much less tomorrow or, or next week, next month. Right, we're, we're, we're not in control. Now, we put everything in our calendars as if, okay, it's a done deal. You know, our, our, our default view is that, well, if we plan it, it's going to happen. However, James is trying to wake us up to the reality that we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Only God knows, and we are not him. 
And so it's so important for followers of Jesus to, to remember and to, to factor in our ignorance about the certainty of tomorrow in our view of the future. You know, we, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. We, we don't know that we'll have tomorrow. You see, so when we forget God, we forget our ignorance. We also forget our frailty, our frailty. Look, look at verse 14. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little, while, a little time and then vanishes. And now, right now, I know you're thinking, Nick, why did you bring this guy here? It's such a depressing sermon. You know, we're just a mist. But this is, this is wisdom. You understand what James is saying to us? He's calling us to a little self-reflection. Now, before we go about our lives making our plans, pretending that, that we do not need God in his word, we should remember and consider that we are a mist. We're like a vapor, a shadow, you know, a, a puff of smoke. We're here for a little while, and then our life here on earth is gone. And the Bible tells us this over and over and over again. In Job chapter 7, verse 7, it says, Remember that my life is a breath. Psalm 39, verse 5. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. I mean, it's so good to remember this at the beginning of a new year. Especially when we can think back to how quickly the past year went by. Psalm 102, verse 3. For my days pass away like smoke. Later in Psalm 102, verse 11. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. You see, if, if, if someone were to write your biography... James already has the title for you. Okay, I know you've been thinking about your biography and, and what you would title it, but James already has the title. You ready? You want the title? Missed. Appeared for a little while and then vanished. See, and here, here's a test for us. Right, every one of us in the sanctuary, we, we all have or had four great-grandfathers. Think for a moment. What were your great-grandfather's names? Your great what, what were their full names? My guess is, if you're like me, it's a struggle to remember, okay, what, what were their names? Right, what, what are their names? And, and, and these are men who lived not that long ago, and these are men whose, whose blood is literally coursing through our veins. And they're already largely unknown and forgotten by us. You see, see, the world tries to tell us that, that, that we're buffered and insulated and secure, that we're enduring, that we're lasting, that we'll, we'll be here forever as stars of our own show. And so we should make our plans and acquire our possessions and, and work to build our portfolios and our bank accounts and our resumes without any meaningful consideration for God and his word and his church. But James says, don't do that. Don't live like you will be here on this earth forever. Instead, he's saying, live, plan, work, 
with eternity in your mind and knowing that your life here on earth is short and you don't want to waste it on worldly things. I mean, live like you want your, your midst of a life to count for the glory of God. To remember that, that life here on this earth is short and that eternity is both long and it's near. And so live like it. See, put another way, James is urging us to avoid the mistake of setting our lives according to a clock that is adjusted to a false view of time. You know, on this trip I'm currently on, I've, I've, I've been from in the UK, then I was in Kenya, now I'm in Germany. I've, I, I'm not exactly sure what time it is, I just know Nick showed up today and, and now I'm here. But it's important that we have our clocks adjusted to the right time, that we have a, an accurate view of time. And Moses says this in his prayer in Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may get get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. I I did a little research, and and what I found is that the, the average life expectancy, according to the internet in Germany, is 81 years. 81 years old. And so think about that. If you, if you turned 13 today, then what that means is you have 24,820 more days. If you're 20, you've got 22,265 more days. If you're 30, you've got 18,615 more days. 40? 14,965 more days, 50, 11,315 more days, and this will be the last one I do because the numbers are getting smaller. If you're 60, 7,665 more days. Moses says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You know what I found over the the last couple of decades of being a pastor, I am I'm the wisest and humblest and best pastor whenever I remember that there will be a day not that far into the future when some other man will pastor the church that I serve. I, I am the, the, the wisest and the humblest and the best husband And father to my children, whenever I remember that my days with my bride and with each of my children are not unlimited, that I'm a mist, and I need to remember the truth. See, whenever we forget God, we forget our ignorance about the future. We do not know what the rest of today, much less tomorrow, will hold. And we forget God, we forget the truth about our frailty. We begin to, to, to number our days incorrectly. But then thirdly, whenever we forget God, we ultimately forget our dependence on him. So look at verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills. We're dependent upon him. See, our ignorance of the future and our frailty should make us very much dependent upon God. And upon his blessing, his sovereign control over all things. 
Now, James is not instructing us to simply use the, the, the pious jargon or pious slogan, well, well, Lord willing, or if the Lord wills, and then just carry on our lives as usual. The point is that we're ignorant and we're frail and we're, we're dependent on God, and so we should plan and we should pray and we should make decisions and we should spend money and we should live in such a way that recognizes that we are not ultimately in control, that we do not control the outcomes. We do not control our circumstances, that we, we, we desire for God's will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven and not our own, and, and that we're people living, wanting to know, asking ourselves, in this situation, what does God want? In this circumstance, what will bring God the most glory? As, as one author put it, the great struggle of my life is not trying to discern God's will, God's will is revealed to us in his word. The great struggle of my life is trying to discern and then disown my own will. Remembering that God is God and that we are not. We remember that, that he's the Lord and we're not. It should humble us before the Lord and it should, it should squelch and put an end to this arrogant boasting that James calls evil in verse 16. You see, we, we don't know enough. And we're not going to live long enough, and we are not in control enough to live as if we are masters of our fate and captains of our own souls. Okay, so here's the third question. Well, what can we do? What can we do to not forget God? So here's a few things by way of application, I think, that are helpful. First, dedicate your plans and your whole life to God. Remember, friends, that 24 hours in the day are not mine to use as I please. Seven days each week are not just mine to use as I please. That God has entrusted them to me, and I am to steward them well. I am to use every one of my hours as God would want me to do. That the plans that I make should reflect that I am considering God and his word over and over and over again constantly. You see, if our plans and our calendars and our budgets are, are all about us, if we're the stars of our own show, th- then we'll end up living exactly like all of our neighbors who have no regard for God and his word. That we will functionally be living a life that's essentially forgetting God. Another thing we can do is make it a priority to confess that we are in desperate need of God's favor. We're in desperate need of his blessing. Do you realize that, friends? It's possible, even for Christians, to do everything right and to be faithful and be responsible and still fail. And still fail and not accomplish our goals, not find success. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 11 says, Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to us all. See, the trouble with believing the the lie, the myth, the illusion that, that we control the details and the outcomes of our lives 
is that we swing back and forth like a pendulum, back and forth between either anger and anxiety on this side or, or arrogance on this side. And what I mean is that our failures or the threat of failures tend to lead to swinging to this side with anger and anxiety because we place so much pressure on ourselves to, to achieve the life that we desire. And we stress ourselves out worrying about whether we've done enough, we've been faithful enough, we've worked hard enough to to control the desired outcomes for our lives. That's if we're facing failure or the fear of failure. On the other hand, whenever we're successful, that can produce arrogance in us because we embrace the the lie that, that we've earned everything ourselves, that everything has come to us because we've worked so hard. Well, the alternative is to remember James chapter 4, verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. See, it's to remember that, that success in this life is through the gifts and the blessing and the favor and the provision of our God. That we have a loving, promise-making, promise-keeping, covenant-keeping personal, intimate, and transcendent God who knows us and cares for us and provides for us. And his word found in the scriptures assures us that he is in control of all things. But yet how often do we ignore the reality of God's sovereign blessings in our lives and instead arrogantly take credit for God's blessings ourselves? You see, James reminded us, and he says in James 1 verse 17, Every good and perfect gift, not just some, not just some, not just most, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Paul writes in in Romans 8, verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things, not, not just some things, not just most things, but all things, The wonderfully wonderful good things and the impossibly terrible things, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus, then these verses should comfort us in our failures and relieve our anxiety because God is working for our good even in difficult times. But it should also humble us in our successes because it reminds us that whenever we meet success, that it's because God has worked for us. He's provided for us. He's, he's blessed our efforts. There's, there's not a single person in this sanctuary who, who is a self-made man or a self-made woman. If, if you are intelligent, then realize, yeah, you may have studied hard. You may have read many books. You went to class. You did the work. But even your intelligence is from God. You know, if you're a great athlete, then realize, yeah, you may have trained, you may have put in the time, but you did not literally construct your muscle fibers. You know, if you're a gifted singer, you didn't engineer your vocal cords. If you're successful, God still had to present you with opportunities. He still had to open doors, give you favor in other people's eyes. Yes, you worked hard to develop your skills and become better, but God gave you the work ethic. God gave you the opportunity. God gave you the desire to put the time in. Therefore, let us be ever humble. Let us rejoice in God's goodness. Let us use our gifts for him. And so one one final application. James says, know the right thing to do and then do it. Look at verse 17. 
So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And so what can we do to not forget God and to stop living like, avoid living like practical atheists? Well, make the things that God makes clear in his word the top priorities for our lives, in our plans, in our schedules, in our budgets. Now, I, you know, I, I ha- I've only been to Germany once before this trip, and so I don't pretend to be an expert in, in, in your life and in your culture, but I, I, I did, I, since we're in January of a new year, I, I asked uh, the internet, okay, do Germans make New Year's resolutions? And I, I was surprised. I don't know, if, I don't know this, how, if you guys agree with this or not, but, but what the internet told me is that in a recent poll revealed that over half of the germ, over half of you, 54%, not only make New Year's resolutions, but you keep them for at least four months. That's incredible. All right? Americans make them and they drop them, you know, before the first week's up. I mean, that's incredible, four months. And so if you're thinking about, okay, New Year's resolutions, if you're thinking about goals for 2023, I can say with certainty there are certain things that are 100% God's will for your life. Dear Christian, it is God's will for your life in 2023 to do the following. To gather for worship with God's people each and every Lord's Day, week after week after week. It's God's will for your life to make reading the scriptures a priority for you. Last week I was in, or really just a couple days ago, I was in Nairobi, Kenya, teaching some, some young men who were preparing uh, to go into, into ministry as pastors. And, and one of them asked me, he said, he said, Richard, he said, you know, what, what, I'm excited about pastoral ministry. What, what's your advice for me? You know, okay, that's a big question. There's a lot he needs to know. Uh, but what I landed on was, his name's Eric. I said, Eric. You need to learn and love your Bible. You know, my advice for you, whether you're living in Stuttgart, whether you're living in Houston, Texas, is Christians need to to learn and love their Bibles. It's God's will for your life that you would set aside regular time for personal prayer. That you would commit to to praying to God and asking him for his help to to live faithfully, to honor him, to, to seek to glorify him in all that you do. You know, parents, it's God's will for your life that you would read the Bible to your children. That you would discuss it with them. That you would pray with them, pray for them. You know, it's God's will for your life that you would steward your money well. Which includes both living within your means and giving sacrificially and joyfully in support of God's kingdom. It's God's will for your life that that you would seek to make disciples where you find yourself. That it's God's will for your life that you would seek to to discover and develop and to deploy and use your spiritual gifts in service of others. Now, not one of us in this room always does the right thing we know to do. Right? We all fail, we all sin. And that's, I mean, that's why we were we were led in the time of, of individual personal confession of sin and corporate confession of sin and and we were, we were given an assurance of God's pardon and grace. Right? You see, praise God that, that we have a glorious Redeemer in Christ who always did the right thing he knew to do without ever failing. 
that he lived that perfect, sinless life that we have all failed to live. And he said, yes, today I will go to that city, but not to live there. He went to die on a cross for sinners like us. You know, James instructs us to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, in Matthew 26, Jesus said, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. See, if the Lord wills, I will go to the cross and I will die to save my people from their sins. And praise God, it was God the Father's will that Jesus lived that life, died that death, and rose from that grave to save ignorant, frail, and dependent sinners like us. Praise God that, that, that yes, I mean, that, that Christ went to the cross. He died in our place on our behalf. Cancel our sin debt. To wash us clean from our sin. To wash our sin away. But praise God, he not only, Christ not only washes our sin away with his shed blood, but that he also lived the perfect sinless life, the righteous life. So that we trust in Christ, we're not merely washed clean from our sin, but we are clothed, we're dressed in Christ's righteousness, which is credited to us, imputed to us. And praise God that, that Christ's resurrection is now our resurrection. That we've been born again to a living hope through Christ. We've been given new hearts. We've been given the person of the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. To empower us, to enable us to walk in newness of life. You see, friends, I am a mist. And yet God knows the number of hairs on my head. The number of gray hairs in my beard, which seem to be increasing rapidly. And the same is true for you. And James warns us not to forget God. You see, sinners like us can find it so easy to forget our God. And so we need to leave here with the confidence that our God will never, can never forget us. I want you to hear that. See, God loves mists like us. He really does. He, he sees us. He knows us. He cares about us. He provides for us. He will never forget us. Listen to what we read in, in Isaiah 49, verse 15, about God. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I, the Lord, will not forget you. So let that image sink in, dear Christian. That this is our God, this is your God. That he will never forget you. He loves you. He could never forget you. And that he will bring all of his people all of the way home. So let's not forget that. In, in this year, 2023, as we make our plans in light of Christ, his word, and his church, let us be ever humble, let us rejoice in God's goodness, and let us use our gifts for him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what your word reveals about you and your character, your sovereignty over our lives, your promises to us as your people, your love and your commitment to us in sending your son to live, die, rise from the grave. 
to secure, to purchase our redemption. Father, we desire to be people who always remember you and your word and your church in our lives, in our calendars, in our budgets, in our many decisions. Lord, I pray that, Lord, that, that, that your word, it will challenge us where we need to be challenged. But at the same time, Father, my prayer is that your word and this whole service today would comfort us where we need to be comforted. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.